Yeah, it's always more fun when you're a kid and that stuff happens. Yeah, because you go outside and you build snowballs and you build uh, snowmen and forts. And, right. And my father gets to uh, shovel the driveway. Yeah. Uh, you start to get the ice off the windows. I mean, it's not exactly the same experience. <laughs> When you're adult, you have to worry about all, like, the little details, whereas with kids, they just play and then get hot chocolate. It's great. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's your whole focus. Even my uh, – we had a little dog that we adopted when we moved to New Jersey. Even our dog had more fun than my dad did. <laughs> <laughs> He'd escape between our legs and run outside and play catch me if you can and run all over the yard. Oh. We have corgis, and they they love it when it snows because that's you know very much in their DNA. They just love it when it snows. We would have to like throw uh, snacks to get them to come. <laughs> All the snow, Fiber. and you see these little um, like light brown things, and it would be her, their her snack trying to get her to come to us. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> But, um, well, you know, dogs are dogs. They're going to do what they do. <laughs> yep. Yep. And food is the best motivator. Uh-huh. It always works. Sooner or later. They just get mm, overwhelmed yeah, with the desire for that snap. <laughs> but, yeah, I loved it. I loved I liked, that was the part I liked about uh, traveling was to, um, not only did we get to go to parts of the country that we had never been to before, but we got to have snow, and we had fall, and we had all the different seasons that we never had before. So right. it was cool. <laughs> that was, but, I mean, I'm looking back at it as I was 9 to 13, so not exactly an adult point of view. <laughs> no, those are good years for traveling, though. Mm-hmm. We came home when I was... Um, toward the end of my 13th year. Uh, but um, home is California. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I just, I have, I have mixed memories. Great sure. vacations. Um, we went to Washington, D.C. We went to Toronto. We visited family in Rhode Island. We went to Massachusetts. I mean, we had some, and we went to New York because we were right near New York when we were living in New Jersey, so we went to all the great places in New York. Um, right. Poconos to go skiing. Uh, my first time skiing was up in the Poconos, not in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> Which were higher. <laughs> higher than the mountains. Yeah, that's the benefit here. is getting to do all that fun stuff. Yeah. It was, uh, but that it's was, very disruptive, for sure. Yeah. That was the cool stuff. That was the fun stuff. Um, but, yeah. School was kind of different. Not as much fun as at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, this is, my first question is sort of, I ask all writers, when you were a kid, what was the first book you read that just took your, just blew your mind? Blew my mind. 
I was, when you say the first book you read, I thought of laying on my dad's back, reading over his shoulder of the Hundred Acre Wood and Winnie the Pooh. But, yes, but but blew my mind. I remember when I was in, I think I was in fifth grade, so I would have been 10 or maybe 11. Um, We were assigned a series of books, and I don't even remember who wrote them, but I think the first one was called The White Mountains. Um, and they were just sci like, you know, kind of futuristic sci-fi books about aliens taking over Earth. But I remember how they just transported me mm-hmm. and, and really took me away from, you know, my suburban educational environment. And I devoured the trilogy from the school library and just fell in love with that. I was always a, a rabid reader, but those stand out as the first time I really was just taken away from where I was. Isn't that the whole words. point of books to it me? It is. Yeah. It's it's it takes you away. If it's a it's mm-hmm. a book that touches you, and you you're zooming, you're in you're in the you're you're with, in Little Women, and and you're with Joe, or you're. You're off in space, <laughs> you're, exactly. you know, or whatever. I mean, that that's you're go, all the wonderful places that your mind can take you that you'll never go as a human being. <laughs> right, that's the point. That's what why it's why we fall in love with reading. Right, is that either education, learning from it, or that escape of of experiencing something completely new. Well, I think it. See, the thing is, I think the experience of learning something completely new and going off to all these wonderful worlds is educational. That's true. Absolutely. I think it's a combined thing. I mean, I was always better at the history, in in history classes where the history teacher and later history professor put things in human content and said, instead of saying, well, remember this date that this person con- conquered these people and did that, that made no impression on me. It's boring. It yeah, is incredibly insane. boring. You know, no wonder people hate history when that's all they teach. But then when I got to, I had a, a junior high school teacher, and I had one of my high school teachers who were both story people that would tell the story of Harriet Tubman, this one teacher in junior high school, I was just, wow, that woman, she was so brave. Oh, my God, look at all that she did. Now I'm interested. This was a human being going through a bunch of stuff that was way beyond what she should have been able to do, but she did it because of what she, and I was like hooked. Uh, Yeah. That's how you can history. Yeah, history should be a story. It's mm-hmm. right there in the word, right? It should be it's a story. story. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what my dad used to say. He, because I would tell him how boring some of my history classes was, especially. Oh, I got in trouble once because I asked about Salem. Um, I was about ten or eleven, mm-hmm. and um, Bewitched was still on. And it was toward the end, and they went to Salem, and I was fascinated by it. Yeah. And so there was a little paragraph about Salem in our history book, and but he skipped over it, like it wasn't even in the book. Aww. So I raised my hand, 
and I said, uh, um, aren't we going to talk about Salem? It's right here. You know, just one page over. And he says, no, it's not part of our academic structure or something that was beyond me. And I was like, I said. It's a bad teacher. Yeah. Well, because I said, but I want to know. Doesn't anybody else want to know? Hasn't anybody seen the Bewitched episodes? And every kid in the class put their hands up, and I got sent to the principal's sure. office. Causing a disturbance. Uh huh. And one of the kids, oh my God, I got hysterical. One of the kids said, Oh, then it was just going to get expelly. Expelled, but it was the kid. Um, yes. And I'm like, I didn't know what that meant. I figured that meant I was going to get thrown out of school forever or something. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew it was right. bad. So I go to the principal, and I'm already in hysterics. I'm crying, and I'm just. Right. In hysterics, the poor guy. <laughs> so the principal brings me in and asks me what's wrong, and I tell him in very difficult. I don't know if he really got everything because I was crying so much. He said, right. "Okay, honey, I'm going to call your dad, and he'll be here as soon as he can. Why don't you sit out here, and I'm going to have the secretary bring you something to eat, okay?" go, okay. <laughs> and so um, he called my dad. My dad came. He um, walked right over to me, hugged me, kissed me, said, are you okay? And I <laughs> sniffled and said, yeah. And he Aww. said, he hugged me and kissed me. And he goes, okay, I'm going to talk to the principal and find out what's going on here. And the, um, the secretary had brought me a hot dog and some and some soda. So that's what I was doing when he came. He goes, you, you go on eating and I'll come back. So this, while I was outside, the principal had called the teacher and um, found out, first of all, why I was there, which the principal thought was ridiculous. And yeah. also found out why I was so hysterical because someone said I was going to be expelled. And um, and he was explaining to my dad, she kept saying expelli, expelli, and I had no idea what she was talking about, but she was hysterical. So I just, I wanted her to calm down, so I gave her something to eat. I hope that's okay. Right. Because, of course. And and he looked, Aww. they looked at each other and said, expelli. And they kind of laughed. <laughs> but anyway, so the prince, which I thought was funny after I was an adult. Um, yeah, of course. Not the time, though. No, no. They, my dad didn't tell me until later. Yeah. So um, the principal actually set up for me to go to another history class right away. Oh. Actually transfer me. Had it out for you or something. Yeah, because he just was like, it's, it, it, she, um, the principal says, it's in the book. I don't understand why you couldn't spend five seconds talking about it since right. everybody in the it. class was interested. Instead of taking it personally. Yeah. He says, well, I was just following your criteria. My father was there. He heard all of the stuff because he, he was on speakerphone. Um, and, my, and the principal said, we'll discuss it later. And he goes, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And that's when he, he decided to transfer me. But... What a lousy teacher. <laughs> yeah, he wanted lousy. to take my love of history away from me. That's the way it looked at to me when I was that little Absolutely. girl. Absolutely. That's so sad. They should be there to encourage that kind of curiosity and interest. 
Isn't it sad? I mean, it's just... Yeah. I, I There were a few people like that, but that's the one that really always stuck into my head because I was such a little girl. And it was true enthusiasm. It wasn't me yeah. being, trying to do anything to the class. It was, I was interested. <laughs> Have you gone back and done research on Salem since? Oh, yeah. I've read a lot on Salem. I've never, I've been to Massachusetts, never got to Salem. I'm working on a book on Salem and the American Revolution right now, and one of my places I really want to visit is Salem. Yeah. I've never been to the Northeast at all, though. It's it's really beautiful. I mean, my yeah. my mother's family is from Rhode Island, but she spends a lot of time in Massachusetts too. So we have a lot of family there. So we were like, yeah, it just looks gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's just gorgeous. All those old trees and the cobblestone streets. It's kind of beautiful, but you, if you're wearing any kind of heel, it's really hard. Luckily, I was wearing sneakers, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching other yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we were in um, we were in Cape Cod and we were in a couple of other areas and wherever there was cobblestones, poor women were tripping all over the place. Ugh. Best argument for flat shoes. Mhm. I wear flat shoes everywhere. I don't. I don't own a heel, so. Well. I mean, I I did wear kitten heels when I was working because some kind of heel was required, but I never wore the big stiletto type things. I would yeah. kill myself on one of them. I would literally break my ankles. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would just die. I even wore tennis shoes to my Riders of the Future gala. Like, I, I wore they were floral patterns to match my gown, but I didn't wear high heels. I wore tennis shoes. You're very civil shepherd. <laughs> I hid them from Joni, but once I was up there, I was like, look at my cute shoes. <laughs> I didn't want her to get mad before we got there. She thought they were great. Yeah, I just, it made me it made me feel uh, remember Sybil Shepherd at the Emmy Awards with her sneakers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she was comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. My feet didn't hurt at the end of the night. I wore tennis shoes at my wedding, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they were all done up with sequins and you know, fake jewels and big old ribbons, but they were flat. Hey, you didn't trip. Nope, and my feet didn't hurt when I danced. It was glorious. I've been to weddings where the bride was wearing six-inch heels. Yep, I've seen that too. I mean, <laughs> some women are very comfortable in them. They get, you know, they're, they're very competent, but that is not me. Yeah, but the thing is, is that it's really hard under those uh, wedding dresses to wear heels like that because you could get the trail you could get you could get the one of the side parts of the dress you, right just track yourself the hems are even if it's really a well done dress you can get your if you wear one of those stilettos that can get right into the hem even if it's really a well done dress you know yeah dangerous but, you know, everybody has their own thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen women that can, like, run backwards in heels that are just incredibly competent in them. So more power to them. Oh, yeah. Die. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I had friends like that, too. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been caught dead in flats. Right. Yep. And they made fun their of, own, right? And they made fun of my kitten heels. 
I was like, I was wearing these really nice black shoes that were actually designer shoes that I had um, gotten for my birthday from my mom and dad, and they, um, they were, she was like making fun of it, and I was like, these are designer shoes, oh bullshit, designers don't make kitten heels, I pull it out, and I show it to her, <laughs> I go, Bill Blast, <laughs> Why would the designer make kidney heels? They exist to sell shoes to everyone. I was like, of course they make designer shoes. Yeah. They make designer flats, espadrilles. Yeah. My God, come on. <laughs> what a strange thing to fight someone about. I was, it's just, uh, some of the girls at one of my jobs were clothes obsessed. They were so... This is so funny. They were so influenced by the Devil Wears Prada. They thought that that was the Bible. Mm. And I was like, you do realize that the whole point of the book was to say that all this focus on fashion and being, uh, getting uh, really short breaks and having to work your butt off and all this other stuff, it's not actually good. It was scathing. It was That's scathing. the whole point. Yeah. It's toxic, yeah. It was it was a bad environment. She almost lost everything she had because of the job. Um, right. <laughs> that's the bad guy. Is the job. Yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, there. Uh, people see the wrong side of stuff. It's so strange. It's like um, some young people think the point of becoming famous is everything because of people like Paris Hilton and all the reality people. Well, and now all the YouTube stars. Yeah, and TikTok and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, but that's, it's not that you're famous. That What's that do for you? You know, it's, it's. Well, it, yeah. it hurts you more than anything. Most people who are just there for the fame, they get hurt one way or another. I don't mean physically. I mean their lives get hurt. And some of them get hurt physically, but most of them just their lives. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's sad. Yeah. And all the people who make that their life goal and then don't succeed, I tell my kids, like, for every YouTuber you're watching, there's... 200 people who are grinding away at this, wasting their lives trying to get famous on YouTube and not succeeding. There's so many more fruitful things you could do with your life. Yeah, like write or 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 do uh, gardening or uh, or um, baseball. I mean, anything <laughs> that's creative and good. <laughs> right. I mean, there's some really you know neat YouTube videos out there, but if as long as the goal of it is to create something cool as opposed to just to get famous, right? It depends on where your heart's at. That's true. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that to promote your books or to promote your film or um, just just to talk about something you're passionate about. or That's cool. I'm all for that. That kind of self-expression is beautiful. I'm talking Absolutely. about... 
the kind that just is toxic and all it does is make you feel bad if you're not if you're not in the same category as your friend that you're in competition with all of a sudden you're devastated and your life is over that is not healthy yep absolutely but yeah it's 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 just strange to me i'm old but to me it's strange <laughs> um so my next question is when did you start writing? Were you a child? Yes, but I didn't really realize that when I grew up and became a writer. So I, when I went back to college in my early 20s, I was very committed to my academic pursuits and really focused on succeeding in college and then did graduate school. And then when I started writing creatively a couple of years after I finished graduate school, I thought that it was like this new part of myself that I discovered and I looked back at all the poetry that I'd written in high school as like an immature choice that I'd made and then I started going through boxes and realizing that my childhood notebooks were filled with poetry and stories and newspapers and magazines that I'd created of my family's goings and comings and and I had always been a writer I had just never realized it until I you know got a little bit older and took a step back yeah, that's interesting. Did your um, your parents encourage you? Um, especially with the research and the, the academic side of it, very much so. Um, I think that it was harder for them to always understand where I was coming from, especially with the poetry as a teenager and stuff. But certainly when I was little, they encouraged me. But, you know, I, I think that it was hard for them to see, like, the long-term value of angsty teenage poetry. <laughs> Yeah, my father um, got a hold of one of my notebooks and he brought it to my mom and said, I'm a little worried. <laughs> and and she said, why? And it's all so depressing. And, yep. and my mom goes, that's a normal teenage girl. As long as she's not <laughs> like writing stuff that's really bad, just let her do what she's going to do. <laughs> right. Yep. But, so I, you know, I was playing with words and, and trying to write emotions and make other people feel them, which eventually became something that was a really valuable thing that I practiced. Exactly. So it just took some time. Yeah, but sometimes it's so sad that, you know, your your family sees it like, oh my gosh, she's depressed. But should we bring her to a psychiatrist? <laughs> right. In, in reality, it's just a normal teenager. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, I mean, it was a loving thing, but he did come to me after he talked to my mom and goes, are you this sad? I go, no, I get my stuff out this way. And he right. looked at me, and it was like it clicked. And he said, oh, all right, don't ask, you're beautiful, the poetry's wonderful, and that was it. <laughs> oh, how very supportive, that's wonderful. Yeah. He, he he was. They were both, my, both my parents were very supportive of both of us. That's one of the lucky things in our lives. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so when you were, when you were in college, did you uh, write or was it just academic writing? Just academic writing. And I was a voracious reader, but if I started reading during my college semesters, um, it would distract me from my schoolwork, and so I had a very strict, like, no fiction rule 
at all during college. And then on my breaks, I would read as many books as I could. And then when we, I went back to school, it was back to nonfiction only. And then I would read as many books as I could on Christmas break. And so I binge read <laughs> desperately and didn't do any creative writing at all. Oh my Unless God. you count, you know, academic writing as creative, which it can be. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely can. But it was so funny yeah. because you know how stressful midterms and finals are. Mm-hmm. Um, my my senior year in community college, I started writing fan fiction <laughs> for Star Trek. Um, awesome. Yeah, so I'm a big Star Trek fan. I would be in. They have a little, it was a really nice library considering it was a community college. And I would be in the library and I'd be one of the big comfy chairs. And I have my stack of books. I would read and then I'd work on my story and then I would read and I'd work on my story. Awesome. And the thing is, it really helped me because when I took astronomy, I knew what a parsec was, I knew what light year was. I knew right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it wasn't total waste because I knew no. a lot of stuff from it. <laughs> well, Star Trek is glorious, first of all, and then fan fiction is a great proving ground for beginning writers. It's actually a really good way to not only uh, try being a writer, but also mm-hmm. to, to see if you can it, connect with the readers and start getting a fan base. Yep. Of course, when I started, there was no computer. We did it by passing pamphlets back and forth. <laughs> it was like a big. Right. It was um. It was it was a pamphlet. I don't really know what to call it. It was a fanzine. And you would go to yeah. a convention, and there would be a box of them under tables, and you would pull them out, and you would just sit on the floor and start going through to see if there what right. ones you like. That's how That's it awesome. started with me. <laughs> But um, actually, the first time I ever read a fan fiction story, Star Trek, it was at yeah. a it was on a military base um, in uh, right here in San Diego in Coronado, and she pulled out a box. She said she her husband couldn't stand it, but I love this stuff, and he, she started passing out the things, and if we really liked them, to take it because my husband can't stand it. <laughs> so that was my first uh, thing I got. Like, she gave me two book, uh, two zines. And that was, my, that was my introduction. And you were hooked? Mm, forever, still. But not yeah. just Star Trek. You go, you go in waves. You go for others. But I, like, I still read zines, except it's yeah. on the computer. It's much more convenient. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, I that's how I got hooked. I got two of them from that girl at the base. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I still think I have it somewhere. <laughs> oh, cool. I know I have the ones I wrote in, but I think I actually have a couple of the books that she gave me. What a neat memory. Yeah. To be able to trace it all the way back like that. It it just it, it was very important to me. It was like a new world. I mean, I'd already read the the Star Trek novels, but it, oh, I have some that I adore. Yeah. Oh, I love them, and I I, I had um, there's this one where they go back to the um, 
the opposite universe, the ISS universe. Uh-huh. It's like a two-part, and one ended one of the the books, the novelizations, and the other one started the next one. So you had to mm-hmm. wait almost a year before you found out what happened. <laughs> Torture. It was horrible. Yep. But that we don't have to do that anymore. Everything's available right away. I know, I know. Uh, buy on demand. <laughs> yeah. But back then, it was a different world. Even publishing was a different world. Zines yeah, were a different so. world. There were no computers. Uh, when we finally did get cell phones, they were the size of bricks. Um, <laughs> there was no, there was no um, camera. There was no internet. There was, it was a phone. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, the world, uh, if if people really understood how fast the world moved in the 20th century, just the 20th century, don't just think about the 21st century, think about the 20th century, think about what the life was like in 1900 and what it was like in 2000, it was what happened? It was just it, it, the world had never moved so fast technologically. Socially, eh, not much. But technologically, wow. Yeah. <laughs> My grandmother was born in 1914 and died in, I think she died in 2005. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about like the changes from 1914 when you know the Model T Ford was trundling around all the way through. You know, to you know, Google and Facebook—it's just insane. Yeah, and and just think about your parents' reaction. Even though they lived through a lot of the changes, mm-hmm. the, your parents' reactions to stuff in the nineties um, and two thousands is like with the phones and and Google and the computer uh, the the freestanding computers, desktops, and all that. It was like, my parents did not understand what was going on. My mom, when my father finally got a computer, was around 2000. My mom, even though she worked with computers, my mom worked in a bank with computers, right. but it was DOS. It was a different thing. You just you typed in yeah. lines of code. You didn't. My mom said she was allergic to the mouse. <laughs> I mean, it was so, it changed so rapidly once computers came onto the scene. I know. It was just, the world went so fast. That's why it's really interesting, because when you, when you see it, when you really think about it, it's like lightning. I mean, it's in, in the, in the time of the universe, it's a second that the world changed so quickly. Uh, yeah. It's it's fascinating. Um, okay, so I'm going to make a little transition here. I wanted to talk about Writers of the Future. How did you find out okay. about it? Um, I started writing, like I said, af- as an adult after I finished college. My baby had just, my youngest had just turned one. And I started writing a book. And then I realized that I didn't know how to write. So I started looking for resources about how to write. And... I wrote a short story, and I wanted to do something with it, Um, and one of the first places I found was the Writers of the Future Forum, and I submitted that story, and it got rejected, and that gave me the bug, 
I wanted to do better than that. So I kept entering until I did. <laughs> and how did you feel when you got the call that you won? So I wasn't actually a winner. I was a published finalist. Ah. So in 2021, I was a finalist three times. Um, three, three of the four quarters that year I was a finalist, and I did not place all three times. So I was super bummed the third time Joni called me. I cried and was just heartbroken because that's a lot of up and down very quickly in, in a 12-month period. Um, and then a few days later, Joni called me and said, you get to be the published finalist. And I was beyond ecstatic because that's, that's like you get to have your cake and eat it too. You know, you get to keep entering, but you get to go and do all the things and have your story in the book and have your art and do the gala and everything. So I really feel like I got like extra win because of how it worked out for me. And what did you uh, think of the workshops first? Um, well, the workshop was incredible. Um, I got to learn from Jody Lynn Nye and Tim Powers for that whole week. Um, I got to sit and sign books next to Larry Niven, which, I mean, who, how does that happen? That's just such an astonishing thing to have happen to a person. Mm -hmm. um, and get to meet Joni in person and all the wonderful people at the contest who are just such neat, neat, incredibly passionate people. Um, it was just such an amazing experience. I'm so lucky to have gotten to participate. That is so cool. And it's so cool. what happened with the gal? Oh, first the art, the art for your story. <laughs> my beautiful, incredible art. Um, well, you know, that's my favorite part of the blog every year is the art reveal because I love to see the expression on the writer's faces when they recognize their art. And so they, they walk you into this room and it's all arrayed out and I keep looking at these pictures that I'm looking and I'm like, oh, I don't see mine. What if I don't recognize mine and that's going to break the artist's heart? And then mine was the very last one on the very last row, and I saw it, and I just burst into tears because it was just so incredibly perfect. The artist, Natalia Salvador, did such incredible research to get, you know, mine is a historical fantasy, and so there was research involved in getting this, this artwork done right, and it's the right kind of deer, and it's the right kind of gun, and, you know, the right kind of uniform, and she just did a really incredible job, and it's so lifelike and beautifully captures the feel of the story. I love that. And what's the name of your story? Um, I apologize to Estonians everywhere. We're saying it as Tsu Kasva Suramase. And what does it mean? So I got that from an Estonian lullaby, and it means hush, hush, grow bigger. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, the story's about a grandmother trying to keep her grandchild alive during Napoleon's winter campaign in Russia, um, aided by a fox spirit of her ancestors. Well, that's really beautiful. That's sweet. And um, and so the last part, of course, is the gala. Did you enjoy it? Of course. Well, of I course you enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, it was amazing. But I, you know, I'm a writer. I sit at my desk and I tell stories and. You know, the most interaction I usually get with other people is on, like, chat rooms. I don't usually get up in front of people in a beautiful gown and give speeches. But it was such a – they, you know, they prepare you for it so well. And then by the time you get there, you've built up to it this whole week, and you really feel like that it's just the culmination of all these incredible things. Um, it was just such a neat experience. And, you know, I still have the gown hanging in my closet, and it's such a special memory to look back at that with my husband there and all my friends. It was just really incredible. That's great. And um, 
uh, what is the, um, do you have the book there? Can you read the whole name of the book and what number? So I'm in Writers and Illustrators of the Future, or L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers and Illustrators <laughs> of the Future, Volume 38. 38, okay. Volume and, 38, And yes. did you do the signing? Yes, we did the signing after the gala. Um, and then the, there's also, like, the big signing where you all sit down and, like, pre-sign a bunch of books for, like, um, author services. And then there's the live signing after the, the gala. I think the live signing is more fun because you're talking yeah, it's to fun readers. To be able to interact with people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's cool. But I wasn't sitting next to Larry Niven at that one, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have a really short story about Larry. Um, uh, my first convention that I was ever at, I was on a panel sitting next to him, and I was already scared on the panel because yeah. I had never spoken like that. I mean, I've spoken in public. I did poetry readings, and I did readings of my books and stuff like that. But I never did anything that's like a convention. It was... Right. I'd been to conventions, but I'd never been... did that before. Um, so I'm sitting next to the legend, and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really nervous, and he looks at me and he goes, are you okay? And I said, I'm just nervous sitting next to you. Go, honey, don't be nervous. We'll we'll, we'll handle this together, okay? <laughs> it was just really sweet. I mean, and he was really yeah, he was nice. Such a sweet man. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. my Larry Niven story. <laughs> and I kept calling him Mr. Niven, and he ca said, "Call me Larry." <laughs> so. Larry, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> Well, it was a little different. I was, I was supposed to be an equal because I was on a panel with him. Right, of course. I think I'd still call him Mr. Niven. <laughs> I, too, I, much, too much respect there. Too many of your books are part of my soul. Sorry, I, I can't. I, 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 I did that a few times. Uh, uh, I'm, I met um, Richard Matheson. Blanked out for a minute. He wrote Somewhere in Time and... Uh, he did a lot of Twilight Zones, and he did, um, I can't remember the name of the movie. He uh, he wrote the book that the movie with Robin Williams where he's in heaven and he's trying to find his wife. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I met him at a book signing, and I kept calling him Mr. Matheson. And he said, just call me Richard. And I'm like, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> right. But he was really nice because he actually, the rule was, and it's it's a normal rule for most book signings, is that um, you you only get the book that they're they're there to push. Right. Um But I had my somewhere in time with me, so I brought it and I said, I know that you're not supposed to, but if it's possible, could you just like scribble your name? All right, just in the corner. <laughs> and he looked at it. He goes, "Oh yeah, nice copy." And he just signed it. It was no big deal. Aww. But yeah, um, so I had it really nice. But I couldn't call him Rick Dort. I just couldn't because that's the name of the no. name of the character in his book too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was like, oh my god, no, I can't do that because I'll go Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you ever saw Somewhere in Time, but um, Christopher yeah. Reeve, 
uh, travels back in time to meet Jane Seymour, who's a, who's a great actress who's based on Maud Adams, who was not the Maud Adams today, the Maud Adams who was an actress in the turn of the century, the last century. Um, and so there's a scene where they're screaming at, Elise, Richard, Elise, Richard. <laughs> so I, I couldn't actually do that. <laughs> I know, it's it's really silly, but that's the way I felt about it. But he wrote some of my favorite Twilight Zones. He wrote, like, I don't, I think, like, nine or ten Twilight Zones at the beginning of the series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Some of my top favorite episodes. Actually, really interesting people wrote the Twilight Zones. Um, the guy who did um, the Waltons, he wrote several Twilight Zones, huh. which really surprised me. But then they were, yeah. but they were based in country life, so it really makes sense if you look at the what he wrote and and what the right. Twilight Zones were about. But I didn't know he wrote those. <laughs> but yeah, there was a um, whole big thing about that, uh, a documentary that I saw. Um, Okay, so I'm going to close up um, by asking you about what's going on now. Do you have? Are you are you still working to become the winner that you want to do, or have you decided to write a book and become a professional? So um, I actually proed out um, selling short fiction, so I'm no longer eligible for Writers of the Future, mm-hmm. um, which is. Again, that's a win-win, right? The whole point of the structure of the contest is to help you become a professional writer. Um, And so proing out and selling enough professional fiction um, to do that feels like a win. Um, I'm also the flash fiction editor at Apex Magazine, and I'm an editor with Apex Book Company. So I teach classes through them, and we've got uh, the flash fiction contest that is done monthly, and you can find us at apexmagazine.com. I'm working on many books. I've yet to find agent representation, but I've got historical fantasies. Um, like I said, I'm currently working on one about uh, the Salem Witch Trials, the last survivor of the Salem Witch Trials, and then the American Revolution. So, yeah, cool. always writing, always working. I want to read the one about Salem because it's still one of my fascinations. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating part of our history, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because if you think about it, the witch hunts were all through the Western world. I mean, and a lot of women disappeared because and got killed uh, because of them. They, they basically destroyed their chance of survival. Some villages disappeared in Europe because they killed all their women for being witches. Yeah. So the more you read the history, the more fascinating it becomes. And it's all economics, really. It was it had nothing really to. They did. I doubt really that they believed any of these people were witches. They were just different, and they wanted to be more powerful than them. But they destroyed themselves by doing it. Yeah. Um, luckily, that was stopped in the United States because of the governor of Massachusetts. Thank you, governor of Massachusetts. He just. Because they actually went up and uh, the, the the girls accused the governor's wife of being a witch. Mm-hmm. And he put a stop to it. Yeah. 
because he not said, soon enough, unfortunately. Unfortunately, so many lost their lives. That's but, right. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I think it wasn't it like about fifty people died by the American witch hunts, wasn't it, or was it more than that? Uh, I think I could Google it really quick. It was a, a sh- shockingly high number for such a short period of time. Because the one I the, I've read lots of books on it, but I don't remember how many people actually got some people got saved because the governor stopped it, but I don't remember how many people died. There was a lot of people who died. I think it's, it, this one's just saying 19 and that initial flood of, of executions where they hanged so many so quickly. Because I thought it was more than that. I don't know, but I just, it's it's shocking. It's I want to read your book, so when it comes out, let me know. Absolutely. Um, do you have a website and do you have social media? I do. You can find me at www.rebeccaetreasure.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at r underscore e underscore treasure. Um, if you Google Rebecca E. Treasure, I'll pop up all over the place. Okay. <laughs> You'll just pop up. You pop that out. You pop right out of the computer. <laughs> that treasure name makes it easy to find me. So. I bet. Um, I want to um, thank you for taking the time out of your day for coming on my show. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I love chatting with you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.